Welcome to Red Pill Torah, calling believers from man's institutions to God's instructions. Have you ever been late for class or for work? I'm Tim. And I miss. I've been late for class, for work, confused about conference schedules, and even unaware of a meeting I was supposed to attend. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes it was my fault, sometimes it wasn't. Either way, I'm responsible for my calendar and keeping all of my appointments. The same is true for you. You can email us at redpilltorah at gmail.com. Find our website, www.redpilltorah.com. Follow us on redpilltorah.podbean.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, or wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. We love to hear from you. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And a big shalom to our listeners in Vermont and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. In case you didn't know, Red Pill Tour can now be heard on Reach Gospel Radio in Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, and also on the Reach Gospel Radio app. If you're in any of those areas or have the app, please listen out for us at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday mornings. Let us know that you heard the program, and please keep us in prayer. Not long ago, I had a funny experience. I think it's relevant to today's topic. It happened on a Shabbat morning. I was in our kitchen when I looked at the clock on the stove. When I noticed the time, I suddenly grew a little anxious. It appeared to be time for us to join in on the online Shabbat services we attend. I rushed to our computer and logged into the service, but there was no one else logged in. I was confused, thinking maybe I had logged into the wrong online meeting. So... I did what any reasonable person might do. I logged out and logged back in again. And once again, there was no one online. Then, I wondered if everything was okay. Maybe there was a technical failure with the computer or with the company that hosted the online gathering. I figured the problem simply could not have been me. That is, until I noticed the time in the bottom right side of the computer screen. Services were scheduled to start Almost two hours later, the clock on the stove was wrong. Because I was acting based on the wrong time, I was the one with the problem. I remember that. That's a funny story, Daddy. Mm -hmm. And an innocent mistake. Anyone can be disoriented when they're not on the right time clock. I guess the power must have gone out for a while and then came back on. That probably threw off the stove's clock somehow. Yeah, it was pretty funny, but, you know, it reminded me of Elohim's calendar. Just as I was all confused about the time, while doing what I thought were all the right things, too many believers are operating by this world's calendar and out of sync with Elohim's calendar. I agree with you. We were in the same situation a few years ago as some believers today, doing the right things according to church doctrine, but off on the timing. Mm -hmm. However... We both know now that doing the right thing at the wrong time is, in effect, doing the wrong thing. The Bible tells us that there is a way that seems right to people, but the end of that way is not a good outcome. Our good intentions, best wishes, sincere efforts don't make our untimely actions any more meaningful. Mm, So true, Mama. Matthew chapter 16 tells a story that illustrates our point, but just before this story took place, Yeshua had miraculously fed 4,000 men with borrowed food, two fish, and five loaves of bread. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, tells us that this all took place up on a mountain. 
I'll start reading at Matthew 16, verse 1. Okay. It says that some Pharisees and Sadducees came to trap Yeshua by asking him to show them a miraculous sign from heaven. But his response was, when it's evening, you say, fair weather ahead, because the sky is red. And in the morning, you say, storm today, because the sky is red and overcast. You know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation is asking for a sign. It will certainly not be given a sign, except the sign of Jonah. With that, he left them and went off. Now let's be clear on what the Pharisees and Sadducees were asking for. The Greek word translated as sign is semeon. It means a sign, a mark, a token, or some form of observable proof that we can validate with our senses. In Shem Tov's Hebrew Matthew text, we see the words ot hamashamayim. We know from our podcast episode 81, titled Secrets in the Sabbath, that the Hebrew word ot means a sign, a motion, gesture, or a mark that signifies agreement between parties. Hamashamayim means heavens. So what the Pharisees and Sadducees were asking for was a miracle that they could verify, showing that Yeshua was working in line with the Father. We know from Scripture that Yeshua did not produce miracles on demand, as if his life was a show for curious onlookers. That's right, Daddy. Maybe if these Pharisees were present with Yeshua and this multitude in the high mountain mentioned in Matthew 15, verse 29, they would have recognized the sign mentioned in Isaiah 40, verse 9 to 11. Oh, that's a great point, Mama. Isaiah 40, verses 9 through 11 says, You who bring good news to Zion, get yourself up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, cry out at the top of your voice. Don't be afraid to shout out loud. Say to the cities of Yehuda, Here is your Elohim. Here comes Adonai Yehovah with power, and his arm will rule for him. Look, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. He is like a shepherd feeding his flock, gathering his lambs with his arms, carrying them against his chest, gently leading the mother sheep. The Pharisees and Sadducees were well versed in the prophets and writings. Maybe Elohim would have opened their eyes to see the fulfillment of Isaiah 40 on that mountain as the people ate the food provided by Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could have even gotten a sandwich out of it. <laughs> Good one. Unfortunately, they were not there at the appointed time. You know, Mama, it's a shame to be ignorant of the times of Yehovah when he's given us signs to understand them. He's placed markers in creation so that we could tell what time it is and when his times are drawing near. Mm -hmm. In the creation story, his works were explained in detail. Genesis 1, starting at verse 14, tells us, Elohim said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, seasons, days and years. And let them be for lights in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth. And that's how it was. Elohim made the two great lights, the larger light to rule the day and the smaller light to rule the night and the stars. Elohim put them in the dome of the sky to give light to the earth and to rule over the day and over the night 
and to divide the light from the darkness. And Elohim saw that it was good. So there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. From the creation story, we learn that the reasons why Elohim created the lights in the sky were to light the earth and to signal changes in the times, seasons, days, and years. When Elohim said, let them be for signs, he used the Hebrew word ought again. Remember, the Hebrew word ought means a sign, a motion, a gesture, or a mark that signifies agreement between parties. By giving us his signs in the heaven, he is offering us an opportunity to agree with him and his calendar. Amen. Remember Tim's story at the beginning of this podcast and how disorienting it was for him to be out of sync with the correct time? Many churches teach that we can't know the set times of Jehovah, particularly as it relates to events in the last days. But listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, But you have no need to have anything written to you, brothers, about the times and dates when this will happen, because you yourselves well know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying, everything is so peaceful and secure, then destruction will suddenly come upon them the way labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there is no way they will escape. Verse 4 continues with, But you, brothers, are not in the dark, so that the day should come and take you by surprise like a thief. For you are all people who belong to the light, who belong to the day. We don't uh, belong to the night or to darkness, so let's not be asleep like the rest are. On the contrary, let us stay alert and sober. People who sleep, sleep at night, and people who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us stay sober, putting on trust and love as a breastplate and the hope of being delivered as a helmet. For God has not intended that we should experience his fury, but that we should gain deliverance through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, who died on our behalf, so that whether we are alive or dead, we may live along with him. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are doing. That scripture doesn't sound like the coming day of the Lord was a secret to the believers in Thessalonica. Nope. It sounds like they had been taught about what to look for. When Miss and I began to study the Hebrew roots of the faith, we learned that most any religious Jew could tell you the season when the resurrection of the dead would happen. They could also explain the, the meaning of the saying, no man knows the day or the hour. How churches lost that awareness is a mystery to me, but I am glad to know that both the Jewish people's expectations and the scripture about not knowing the day or hour are true. You just need to understand the context of what's being said. So what would you do if you discover that the way you live your life and some of your beliefs were out of line with God's instructions? Would you take the blue pill and believe that Elohim's calendar is just for the Jewish people and the church was saved from Elohim's calendar by the death and resurrection of Jesus? Or would you take the red pill and get in step with Elohim's calendar? Only you can answer that question. In 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul wrote about speaking in tongues and keeping order in the assembly of believers when we come together. In essence, Paul was saying that it's not fruitful 
or edifying to the assembly to have the worship interrupted by sayings in a language that everyone does not understand. Chapter 14, verses 6 through 8 say, Brothers, suppose I come to you now speaking in tongues. How can I be of benefit to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even with lifeless musical instruments, such as a flute or a harp, how will anyone recognize the melody if one note can't be distinguished from another? And if the bugle gives an unclear sound, who will get ready for battle? Compare this characterization of the bugle with what Psalm 89 verse 15 says. In Hebrew, it says, Asher Ha'am Yoda'e Teruah, Yehovah Be'or Panecha Yekalehun. In English, it says, Happy is the people who know the joyful sound. Yehovah, they will walk in the light of your presence. Listeners, in our next podcast, we hope to talk about the upcoming holy time of Yehovah and what it has to do with a teruah, or a sound. For now, I can tell you that it will be a truly joyful sound for those of us who are looking for it. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Feel free to listen to it again, email it to a friend, start a conversation. If you listen regularly, please send us an email letting us know how you're doing and how we can improve what we're doing. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you you can can handle handle the truth. truth.